if you're not seen, you don't exist. Okay. That's the way of the world today. So I'm one of the active photographers shooting male photography. You are a gay black man or a gay Asian man, and you have an opportunity to participate, to be part of this process, to stand up and be seen and be real in your community, and you just walk away from it. That's not pushing the ball down the field at all for any of us. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Unapologetic podcast. My name is Pierre, and I'm your host. I'm the founder of the gay ethical brand Unapologetic. And today, I have the pleasure of talking to Vincent Keith, a photographer and the founder of Mascula, a quarterly magazine that celebrates masculine art and the men who create it. Welcome, Vincent, and thanks for Thank you for inviting me. This is a pleasure. As a photographer, what's the inspiration behind your work? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I've been taking pictures for a very long time. My father is a very accomplished photographer in his own right. And so I started learning to take pictures as a kid. And I guess in the context of what we're talking about, I started using photography as part of my whole coming out process. It was a combination of a few things. First of all, I had a lot of confusion about what it meant to be gay, and I didn't have a lot of gay role models, and the imagery I saw of gay life was generally either incredibly fit six-pack underwear models, or it was people in the theater who were very flamboyant and seemed to be very confident and so on and so forth, and none of that resonated with me. And so... In part, I started taking pictures because I wasn't seeing a lot of photography that reflected what I wanted to see. So my character, my personality is if you don't see it or you don't have it, go make it. So that was the process of how I got into this. And then over time, I started exploring themes about sexuality, masculinity, body image through my photography that all came together as within the work I did and the people I was photographing. But that was just the start. After I kind of my exploration of that side of my character and personality and identity was bedded down, I think my photography really moved more towards exploring certain questions that were going through my mind. And one of them was around the concept of masculinity and what it meant and how it worked and how many cultures had different views about it. In some cultures, it's not even a question to discuss. People just think they are what they are. And in other cultures, it's almost a brand or in, and still other cultures, it's a problem in certain respects. It's a theme that, that evokes a lot of concern. And so my photography became more of an exploration of that an exploration of those things, signal masculinity of how each man has his own form of masculinity and how that is expressed was very interesting to me. So I started using my photography to capture that. And that just was like the trunk of a big tree that has taken me in a lot of different directions. But fundamentally, I guess I'm an artist who is interested in exploring different forms of masculinity, masculine relationships, and gay relationships, interactions between men, body. That's the whole bucket, basically. How does your identity as a gay man or queer man 
influence your uh, your work and your photography? I think in the first instance, it changes the way I look at things. It has an impact on how I look at things and what I look at. And I think it pervades pretty much everything I do because everything we do, we bring a part of ourselves to it. And my sexuality and my identity as a gay man come into how I look at everything. But so does the fact that I grew up in different countries. And so does the fact that I had a certain kind of education. And so does the fact that I'm, I'm black. And so does the fact that I'm tall. There are lots of different things that come into play in how I see my work and what it is I look for in my photography. But in terms of my own identity and my sexual identity, I have a strong sense of what sort of turns me on visually. It's like I can't change my shoe size and I can't change whether I'm right or left handed and I can't change my eye color. Therefore, neither can I change what turns me on and what I find exciting. And those are key drivers in my approach to my work. So back to gay photographers and artists, really? are there any who influenced or who are influencing you? Yeah. So my way back when, when I was coming out of the closet, coming to this experience, I would, this is pre-internet days and all that sort of thing. And I would go to a bookstore in London that I liked very much at the time. And they had an amazing collection of art books and everything else. And they had some photography books, particularly one by a photographer called Blake Little. Um, it was a black and white photo a book of men, mostly nudes, very artistic, very beautiful. And I, it stopped me in my tracks. I looked at that book and I thought, my God, this is not only beautiful, not only is it what I like to see, but also it captures different forms of masculinity and the male body. And I, I just love that book. And so that was a big sort of kick in the pants to me to say, okay, get out there. You can, you can make things. I don't shoot exactly in his style, but it was inspirational to see a book full of photographs that I, that I, that resonated with me on such a level. And there are a number, all the greats from the forties and fifties, even the thirties and so on and so forth it influenced me, but their models tended to be more live, more dance, more graceful. And I think that those photographers were looking for the gracefulness in the male body. And I don't think they would have thought much of going out to find a farmer or a truck driver or whatever to, to photograph. Also, I think in those, in those days, there was a lot of focus on youth and in some kind of extreme youth. Leave that where it is, but in, in, in others, youth and youthfulness was something that was important. And that's not really one of my drivers at all. What I took from them was lighting and studio work and so on and so forth. And then I look at the work of a dear friend of mine, Randy Addison, where these hugely masculine, very strong muscle bodies with very atmospheric lighting and unbelievable attention to detail and so on and so forth. That's very inspirational. God, there's so many, but I, it, I think it's probably fair to say from your work and the intimacy of your photography and how there's such a clear dialogue between the subject and the photographer, which again, that's not very me because I think I'm a little bit further away, but it reminds me how important it is to strive for that. And because I'm a very visual person, 
I see good work and it turns me on. I think one outside of the gay world, if you look at a photographer like August Sander, the portraitist from Germany, he's, he was amazing in bringing out character through portraiture. And boy, is that something that I try in, in, in my work. Then I go to somebody like Ron Amato, who is this amazing professor and photographer in New York. His world is, there's an ethereal, a dreamy quality to it. It's almost as if he's reacting to the outside world and saying, I'm tired of that. I'm creating my own. And this is the form of beauty that I want to explore. And again, technically so strong, but in such beautiful models. But you see a picture of his and what's a picture of his. You see a picture of yours and what's a picture of yours. You see a picture of Randy's and what's a picture of Randy's. And I think I'd like to believe that somebody sees a picture of mine, they know it's me. I think that we, as photographers, as I said earlier, we bring a lot to our work, a lot of ourselves to our work. And in terms of inspiring me, it's a combination of your work and you as a person and your journey and that whole package is seen in your work and also makes me think, gee, strive harder, find some new models, try new locations, do better. I would say that some of when I hear podcasts and discussions about great photographers and people who they like, oftentimes people don't mention some of the African portraitists who have done such amazing work and, or African-American portraitists from the fifties and the sixties who did amazing work in their communities. They don't maybe get as much visibility as they ought to, but boy, is it inspirational work when you see it. And a couple who've broken gender stereotypes as well, it's very brave in those circumstances. If they're artists, they're going to find a way to communicate their vision. How would you describe your style? Old fashioned. Okay. Nobody has ever accused me of being modern, cutting edge with the times. I would describe my photography as very old fashioned. It took me a while to get, come into digital photography and with film photography for so long. And at the time, it wasn't so much a cost issue. It was just cameras I had were so much better than anything digital. And I'm the tools of the craft matter a lot to me. So I've, I shot film much longer. And that meant that I tended to take a lot of time to put together a photograph, which means that they're not spontaneous. This whole issue of capturing the decisive moment. Screw that, man. That decisive moment will have come and gone by the time I've got nail focus and have the lighting right. So for me, it's much more constructed in certain respects. Once I've got that all set up, I do respond to the model and the photos do become a dialogue between me and the model. But I think this in part also comes from the fact that I'm more of a voyeur than I am a participant. You take somebody like Maplethorpe, he was photographing the world he lived. You take somebody like Nan Golden, but she's in the bed with her camera photographing her lover just after they've had sex or after she got a black eye or whatever the situation is, right? These are people who are photographing their day-to-day -day life experience and communicating something through them. I don't live in that environment. It's not a negative or a positive, but 1970s heroin-infused New York isn't my zone. So I can't really take out the Leica and capture that moment when we're both naked in bed. My camera is too big to do that with anyone.
the lighting would ruin the mood and so on and so forth. So you have to be a little bit conscious of what it is you can do in the context of your, or of your work. And so candids aren't really it for me. I mean, within reason. So if you go to the other extreme, it's much more formal. And so I would describe my photography as old fashioned. I would describe it as more formal. I would describe it as very deliberate. It is rare that something is in that picture that was not meant to be there. I think that my photography is very light-based as opposed to action-based or as opposed to form-based. The lighting is really what I work with, and I've been told oftentimes that it's got that sort of Rembrandt quality. That's pretty old-fashioned too, isn't it? It's not very modern. It allows me to focus very directly on the subject. And in that work, you start to get that electricity, that gold, whatever you want to call it, of character coming through. So I'd like to also say that my photography is focused on character and personality because there isn't much, much there. And most of what I shoot are nudes, except for the more fetish work, which has its own bucket. There isn't much to signal anything about the model other than them standing right there. There's no underwear. There's no big expensive watch. It's just pretty basic, almost brutal exposure. And once the model gets comfortable, that's when you really start to see their own form of masculinity. That's when they start projecting their own character. I mean, that's a long-winded answer to your question, but I, I hope it describes, I guess, and the punchline is, it's really for other people. It's in the eye of the beholder. What do you think of my photography? Do you think it's old fashioned? I don't think so at all. I think it's timeless. That's a nice one. That, that's what makes it so interesting and inspiring. Thank you. That's a better way to say it. Are there any specific messages or themes that you want to convey in your photography? I take pictures because I enjoy it. Okay. And I love photography. It isn't my profession, right? It's a hobby, but I take it incredibly seriously. So it is a creative outlet for me and it is part of the search. And by the way, I've made so many friends through my photography. In fact, most of my friends, my husband, I love, et cetera, all are thanks to my interest in photography to one degree or another. I do this because I love it, because I'm on some kind of crusade. It's my exploration. And the way I work is I give a version of all the photos I take to the models. So it's a sort of very sharing, collaborative approach to doing things, which is very much my nature and character too. This journey has been an exploration and discovering what masculinity means. When I was younger, I was an awkward shaped child. I grew too tall, too fast. And when I walked, my butt would switch because my feet were in the way. I didn't have a strong indication of what masculinity meant in a way that I understood it. And part of that was because as a kid, I grew up in the Middle East and I saw masculinity in one form. And then when I wound up in the States, I saw an over, a sort of demonstration of masculinity that was sometimes convincing and sometimes not. And what's beautiful, and I guess what I explore through my work, the theme that comes in my work is that the stereotypes were fed about what masculinity means are all wrong. That, that we are fed a constant diet of what it means to be a man and what it means to be masculine and what it means to be strong and why that's so important. And it turns out that's all bull. 
and that there are hyper-masculine men, or let me say examples of masculinity walking through the Sahara right now on top of a, a glacier somewhere in Iceland in an Amazon forest, none of them are worried about who's the quarterback for which team. None of them feels that they've got some kind of extra special position in society because of their strength or because of their virility. There are just so many different ways to look at this. What I think I try to do, I've shot over 400 men now around the world, and the theme that masculine character comes in every possible shape and size and intention and feel and that it's just as good to like your axe or your tutu. I don't care that both stand out as men in my eyes and in front of my lens. Let's talk about the muscular now. What made you start? As I said earlier, if you don't see it, if there isn't one, then go make it. I wasn't seeing magazines or, or platforms that showed the work that I wanted to see. And I knew how to use some of the Adobe publishing software and all that. And so I decided to make the first edition of Masculine Magazine by asking a few friends to contribute. There was no theme and the response was fantastic. And I liked seeing a magazine that didn't have any boundaries, basically. That if it was artistic and it was beautiful, I didn't care if he had a heart on or not. I didn't care if he was naked or not. I don't care if it's two people. I, it doesn't matter so long as the work stands out. And I wasn't very happy about the barriers that were being put up for us by corporate and profit-driven requirements, right? And don't get me wrong, I'm a capitalist by nature. My real work is in the finance sector. So it's not that. It's that the reason why we can't see or there's an issue with nudity in Instagram, for instance, or whatever, doesn't come down to trying to protect people from seeing a naked man. It comes down to the requirement of advertisers and how the organizations that are trying to drive profits off of this platform want to make the platform as attractive to many as many advertisers as possible. When you see that's the way the platforms are treating and using your work, then you have a choice to go find another vector, another way to do it. So that was the genesis of the magazine. Let's do something that people like me would like to see. And people like me are grown up enough to be able to see a beautiful portrait of a man's and his grandfather, and then later on in the magazine of two men in a passionate embrace and not freak out. And that we actually want to see, we want to be challenged. We want to have our eyes open to different experiences. We want to be part of that conversation. So that's how it started. And then through Flickr back in the day, and then Instagram and other, I started inviting other artists to participate in each issue, which has a theme. And then suddenly something actually very beautiful happened. When we had a theme, you could have that theme discussed and seen through work from artists around the world. And inside the pages of the magazine, we started to have a dialogue about the theme from different perspectives in different parts of the world. So you could have a submission from a farm boy in Oklahoma, a middle-aged man in Korea, from a very urban Israeli queer guy all 
talking about the same thing. And, and that was amazing. That's when you started to see that happen. And it challenges people when they look through the magazine to consider these issues. We did one on nature and the different people's experience of nature is driven by their own personal experience. What they see is beautiful in it. Those people who are surrounded in and grow up and live in beautiful natural surroundings all the time often take them for granted. Then you take somebody from Bangkok and it's the most urban place I've ever been in my life. And they start considering nature and for them, it's a jewel. It's got to be treated with the utmost beauty and reverential. And so all of that is, starts playing through, through, through the magazine. And then I guess the third plank that became interesting to me is I was getting the amazing feedback from people who were saying, I, I look through each issue from page to page. I would get in so much trouble if anybody knew, but it's, this is so important to me. It was touching people and creative people and the lives of LGBT people around the world in a very special way. And so it's been a privilege to be behind this. I had no idea it would grow to be what it has been. And recently in the last few issues, we now have two joint editors with me that make it a very interesting experience and a very interesting debate. Randy and Edward are both hugely talented, creative people, but they have different priorities. They have different backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds. Um, so the last few issues of the magazine, I think have been some of our strongest in part because it's not just down to me and the three of us debate a lot about what goes in and what doesn't and what should go where. So we generally run a quarterly magazine. We put out the call for submissions at the time that we publish. And we've covered nature, water, history, leather, fetish, sports, portraits, the color black, the color blue is about to come out. Let me see all kinds of different topics. And we're not super strict about adherence to them. It's just, it's supposed to be a jumping off point. And the thing that I found over time is that in our community, there are so many talented people, be they writers or photographers, painters, sculptors, whatever you do artistically. And, and the reason why that's important is that we as men are better, live more full lives, are more true to ourselves to the degree that we explore the different areas of our character. Gym, that's an important one, but work, that's a very important one. Primary relationships, important. But then there are other areas that we neglect because that takes up so much and we neglect our creative side. We neglect our curiosity sometimes. And so the magazine can be that sort of kick in the pants that says, hey, gee, if you've got something to say on this topic, get in there and send us something to consider. What advice would you give to young unless you're photographers and artists who want to launch themselves. I get a lot of questions from people who are interested in maybe getting into this field and doing this kind of work. And they ask me questions about how to do it or whatever, or they're worried. How do you get a guy to do that? I'll never be as good as you. Stupid statement. First of all, why are you trying? That doesn't matter. Be as good as you can be and be happy with that. And second of all, it's not a competition. If you're an artist, you do what you're going to do. So a couple of things I would say, first of all, is understand that for all the great photographers and artists out there that you love, if you were to look at their first portfolio from the first year they started off, you would see that they've come a long way. Nobody started off as amazing as they wound up. If you think they're amazing, right? 
So it is a voyage. The sooner you start, the sooner you'll be the amazing photographer you want to be. So get started today. Next thing, I do think having a camera makes a difference. Yes, you can do amazing things with your phone, but there's a seriousness about having a camera and a commitment to using it and all of that. And ultimately the pictures are better. Sorry, but they are. I would advise them to set up a website. It's super cheap and it's super easy to do. When you set up a website and you select the works that you want to show, you're doing a form of curating that's very important in understanding your own work, number one. Number two, it's a, a very clear statement to the world, your intentions and about what you're about and statement you want to do. But very importantly, unlike posting to Facebook or to Instagram or to some of these other social media platforms where the objective is to get people to like it and to get a response and you are deciding which picture should I put? Is it the one that's the picture I like better or is it the one where the guy's butt looks a little bit better and that's going to get more likes? So the thing that drives you in terms of putting your work on social media, and I'm not saying you don't do that. Yes, you do that. But the thing about putting a portfolio online is that that's your signature, really. That says a lot about who you are, what you are. It's not about the likes. It's not about the censorship. It's not about anything else. And it's just you. I take a lot of pride in my website and I kick all my friends who have websites and they're not updated regularly, update your website. When people want to see your work, send them to your website. Don't send them to your Instagram because your Instagram is sequential, which means that if your best photo ever was two years ago and you've posted 300 pictures since, nobody will ever see your best photo ever. That's just shocking to me. Don't do that. Make sure that when they open your website, it's right there as the thing you're most proud of. Also, your website allows you to organize your work in a more cohesive way, landscapes and portraits and nudes and product or whatever, however you want to do it. And Facebook are all sequential and they don't necessarily make sense and they don't care about art. So if you are serious about being a photographer or an artist of some kind, don't believe that social media is the end point. Social media is a tool to drive traffic to your proper destination. If you have a website and you can say, look, this is the work I do and I'd like to photograph you, that's more likely to get you a, a, a positive response. There are guys out there who are dying to be asked. So just ask, just say, hey, I'll share the photos with you. I'm not being creepy. I just want to take some pictures of you. I'm new to this, but I have some ideas I'd like to explore. You're perfect for it. Could you make some time? And when they do, treat them with respect. Be professional. Remember your reputation is on the line every time you interact with somebody, but don't be afraid to ask. What's your experience of inclusion with regards to models and with regards to artists? Okay. This is very complicated and it's an issue that I struggle with a lot. I, I don't choose my models on the basis of race. I see a picture of somebody and I'm like, boom, I'd like to photograph you. Okay. However, my hit rate with men of color is very low. So ask people, so the outgoing email, the outgoing traffic is super inclusive. I see South Asian guys. I see East Asian guys. I see black guys. I see every genders, everything. And in between, and if your face is attractive to me and you look interesting and you look like you have something to say from a characterful perspective, you're going to get a message from me and I'm going to say, hey, I'd love to photograph you. What comes back is Caucasian models, 
high hit rate, South Asian models, pretty much zero hit rate, black models or men of color, very low hit rate. And I'm like, what is it? What's, and I've even had people leave comments, say, oh, you only shoot white men. And I'm like, first of all, that's not true. If you go through my portfolio, there are a number of men of color, but not nearly as many as I would like. I've struggled with this. So first of all, am I asking in the wrong way? What's going on? And particularly when guys come and say, don't you shoot black guys? My response is, I absolutely do. Would you like to do a shoot? And they're like, oh no, I couldn't do that. And I'm like, okay, so <laughs> I, I couldn't shoot do a shoot. Your guys are naked and I just wouldn't be comfortable with that. What is this issue? I wouldn't be comfortable doing that. I'm like, so then how can you be critiquing my portfolio on the basis of that you're not prepared to make it better? And so they're so often, so it's my job. I'm like, okay, are you a congressman or an MP or do you teach children under the age of 12? Or what is it that you do that makes it impossible for you? And it's the range of answers, bus driver, whatever. Dude, I promise you, there is no problem. And we're not shooting porn. We're shooting fine art. Not that there's anything wrong with porn, but I'm just saying this is fine artwork. And if you have a real problem with your penis being seen in public, we can like maybe work around that too. Then you speak to other people. I go to other guys and I like to photograph you. And then the question comes back, naked? Question mark. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, no way. No. And get the sense that either there's a cultural thing. Of course, there's all the Nigerians who are like, my mother might see this and die of a heart attack. So couldn't do that to her. Do you know how many women read muscular? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or go onto my website because I know I have female followers. Definitely. So that's the first, they just, they're concerned about, they bring within this baggage about religion, about their family, about their job. And I think in part what it says about them, it's, you know, well, I'm not prepared to distinguish between your artwork and pornography and selling myself. And therefore, if I were to do something like this, it would be like selling myself and I feel bad about it. And what if a friend sees and all these, and they're clearly not comfortable. Even the people who are black guys who I'm close with and who I've photographed on a couple of occasions, they're like, look, so long as they remain private or other black guys who I have photographed and allowed me to, and happy to have them published, but they don't want their penis to be seen by anybody else. I'm like, is it unusual in some way? Is there a problem with it? I wish there were a forum where we could get a bunch of men of color who've been asked to do shoots and who have refused. And to understand what the problem is, because if I can address that problem, then my portfolio would wind up being a lot more diverse. I love shooting black skin. I love shooting men of color. I want as much diversity and variety in my work because that is the whole objective. I recently did a series. I've been exploring a series that I kicked off called The Saints at Play. And these are group shoots where I get several guys. And this was driven by seeing some paintings, religious paintings of monks in religious scenes and all of them in ecstasy and all that. And you cannot deny there's some sexual electricity going on in there. So I thought, gee, why don't we just cut to the chase and make some photos like this and just forget the robes, let's go for it. And I've been very happy with the response and, and the shoots have been fantastic. And I did one in Madrid where I had to pull these people apart, but that's a separate story. In both cases, both sets of men of color canceled on the day. I'm like, what the hell is this? We talked, they had seen the work before, they were keen to do it, they were going to come, and it was all great. And these are shoots that are happening like on 
Saturday or Sunday in early evening or Friday after eight o'clock or whatever, there's no reason why they couldn't make it. Yeah. And in both cases, both men of both sets of men of color canceled at the last minute. Total no shows. When he called to say, look, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. I said, you better get your ass over here. You're going to ruin my shoot if you don't show up. Blah, blah, blah. I put on as much pressure as I thought was reasonable, plus about another 30%. And he was like, yeah, okay, I'll see what I can do. And, and didn't show. I really do believe this. If you're not seen, you don't exist. Okay. That's the way of the world today. If you're not seen, you don't exist. So I'm one of the active photographers shooting male photography you are a gay black man or a gay Asian man, and you have an opportunity to participate, to be part of this process, to stand up and be seen and be real in your community, and you just walk away from it. That's not pushing the ball down the field at all for any of us. I can guess what some of the drivers are. There's got to be some community, some group of people out there who are prepared to take that step. I'm sure that it's not all that that easy in certain respects, but they've got grinder profiles. They've got profiles out there in social media or somewhere that identifies them and identifies them as gay men. Otherwise I wouldn't ask. So there's some visibility out there. I don't know, but I look, look in the world of porn and I find black porn actors who are engaging in gay porn who are wearing masks to cover their faces. I see a lot of this. And it's looking at your body, your hairdo, the big chain you're wearing and all your tattoos. If your mom sees this, she'll recognize it's you. Your mask won't do anything to hide the fact. Anybody who knows you or has seen you in any intimate way before will recognize you immediately from all the external. But it just seems to be more acceptable or it seems to be the compromise that's made that says, okay, I'll engage in this, but so long as you can't see that it's me. And in part, the misunderstanding there is that what makes it relevant is that it is you. As a man who's looking for representations of masculinity in all of its forms and shapes and male character in all of its forms and shapes, the fact that it's so hard to get men of my own race to participate is a really frustrating and challenging thing. And I'd love to have a greater discussion about that someday, and I would certainly love to have some advice on how best or what to say or what to do in order to make it easier for this to happen. Yeah, I will join you on that. That's good. Yeah. And then you have that dichotomy, that issue where it's hard to find them. You want them. They're not represented in your work as much as you'd like, and then you get criticism for not having enough diversity in your work. Yeah, that criticism is justified, but it's just that if not because I don't want to, it's just that it's is yeah. really difficult. I'd be happy yeah, to give them the assurances bad. that they need because it's important. And I come back to what I said earlier. If you're not seen, you don't exist. And in 500 years, when somebody looks back at all the work that we've done and all that, and they're trying to do an assessment of what was cool, what wasn't, what were people doing, what were the themes in society and all that sort of thing, they're going to see that there's one huge way of the society that was relatively silent. We can't do that to ourselves. We really can't do that to ourselves. Final question is, what's your idea of embracing who you are? I don't know that I give a lot of attention to that. I think I probably did when I was younger, but now I'm old and funny looking and that's less of a driver. I've become very comfortable with who I am. I'm very fortunate in relationships I have and the people who love me and who I get to love back. There isn't a lot of searching 
the way there was a long time ago when I was in that stage of who am I, what do I want life, where am I going to go, all that sort of thing. And I guess if you look at the career I've had, the highs and lows, the people who've come and gone through my life, I had a very bad experience with COVID that was maybe going to be the end for me. And coming out of that, the lesson I've learned in all of this is that the only thing that matters is love. And I know that sounds so trite, but it is, it really is the only thing that matters. When I thought I might not have any more days, I did not think about that car I never got or that deal I didn't close or that rejection that I felt. All I wanted to do was reach out to the people that mattered in my life and tell them, I love you. I love you. I love you. That's the only thing that matters is I love you. So I think that the lesson I've learned or come to, to feel about self-acceptance, less about turning the lens on myself and saying, hey, you're cool. You got it all. But it's not about that. It is about being a couple of things, I'd say. One, being in the now. Again, that sounds trite. For, I cannot tell you for how long in my life I was working towards objectives and pushing myself and waiting, waiting to buy that house, waiting for that promotion. And I look back on those years and I have so few memories and I have so few memories because I wasn't at all participating in the moment. I was just anticipating the future that I was working towards. And so I look at pictures of dinner parties or of holidays 30 years ago, and I think to myself, holy shit, was I really there? Oh my God, I, I had no, no memory of that, but clearly I was there. <laughs> There's a photo. And so that was a big mistake. And I had some great experiences, right? It's not that they weren't amazing. It's just that I saw a picture recently where uh, I was doing something and looking for some photos for someone. And there was a picture of me swimming in the Red Sea with whale sharks, okay? Now, we were scuba diving. I was between jobs. I was on gardening leave. You would think that the normal person would remember having swum with whale sharks, right? Totally forgot. Totally forgot about it until I saw that picture. Now I'm much more aware of the day and the interaction I've had and the love I brought into somebody else's life or the support that somebody needed, the nice message I got from a friend on the last issue of the magazine, those things now I let sink in and they matter more to me. It may not be a direct answer to accepting yourself, but it is more a way of life. And all of us who are so ambitious and driven, and we do have very real priorities that we need to address. Accepting that it may take some more time, accepting that right now is really good, accepting that when your uh, partner holds your hand, if you're fortunate to have somebody who's going to hold your hand, and if you don't, when you hold somebody else's hand in a moment of crisis or whatever, those are the things that matter the most. And when you do that, just like when you go out and take that camera out for the first time in two years and take some pictures, you are more yourself. You are more, you fill out more of who you are. And I think that's probably the best lesson I've had. That this is what comes of being old. And every watching this or listening to this is thinking, what is he talking about? I need that latest phone <laughs> to get to work. But, but that sort of small W wisdom does come with time and having missed out on things. I don't really have regrets, but I do regret that I didn't spend the time to enjoy the moments that I created all those years back.
Yeah. In terms of self-acceptance and I guess directly to self-acceptance, I don't give a fuck what you think about me. Honestly, <laughs> you don't like me. You know, that's perfectly fine. I stopped caring about what other people thought a long time ago. And the moment you let go of that sort of chain, you are so incredibly free. We undermine ourselves all the time. And that's driven by what we think other people want or expect not anymore. Thank you so much, really, for taking the time to talk to me and to us. Where can we find you? Muscularstudio.com is my own personal and muscularmagazine.com is the magazine. People who haven't seen the magazine to date, it's free to download. It, it's an amazing array of work. We are yeah. right now working on our 39th issue, the work from people from all over the world, including you. It's something I'm very proud of. Those are the websites. It's uh, muscular underscore men on Instagram. And I think it's muscular men on Twitter. I encourage people to go to the websites because that's what I love and where I put my effort in and where there's no censorship and where it's, I show you what it is I think is special in my work. I will never stop telling people, check out the magazine. I'm sure you'll find something that you like. And if you are creative, make a submission, please put in a submission. Thank you so much again, Vincent. Thanks everybody for watching and listening. See you again at the next. Bye-bye.